So we left off last week in verse 31. Beautiful verse within 2 Samuel 22. And verse 31 reads, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And that is such a beautiful promise, is it not? That He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. And sometimes... He is our last resort. I don't know why. That would be like in the midst of a bomb scare, you have a nice, refurbished, freshly made bomb shelter in your backyard that you know has been built and constructed to withstand the blasts of the enemy army. But you choose every other area in your house to take refuge first when the real answer for shelter is at your fingertips. And sometimes that is what we do with God. He says, everything that you need is in me, and we choose to go to him last. It doesn't make much sense, but we do it all the time. I do it because I'm stupid. I don't know why you do it, but I do it because I'm stupid and I don't learn my lesson. And David had many moments where he kicked himself a little bit throughout his life. But what was the cool thing that we talked about last week? I said, David can look back at his life and look back at everything that he's gone through, and he doesn't have to refer to his sin any longer because as Nathan the prophet came to David back in 1 Samuel and said, God has chosen to forget your sin. And David had come to a place where he said, man, God has everything that I need. And God had proven himself faithful so many times. And I think if there's one main thing and one main idea that we'll focus on tonight, and there's many directions we could go, but it's this. God didn't just preserve David through these crazy situations just because he loved David, though he did love David. But God had a greater purpose in what he was doing in David's life. And the same thing, church, can be said of you tonight. Everything that God does in your life, there is a greater purpose in it. God will never put you through the fires and the tribulations and the trials and say, there's really no reason for that. I just want to throw you in there. Because any good father wouldn't do that to his son, right? Now, my dad played lots of tricks on us growing up and would often, uh, my dad did this thing when we were kids called Mr. Drill, and he would take his finger and like, He thought he's tickling us, but it was just like painful, like poking. And we would laugh, but it was almost like we were laughing because of like the pain. I don't know. I don't really know how to encompass what was happening exactly. But he would like pin, you know, me and my brothers on the the couch or something. And he'd like be tickling us. But it, it would tickle for like a second, but then it would just hurt. And I think it was just his way of like all the gray hairs we've caused now. He was preemptively, uh, you know, getting even with us. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what it was, but any good father doesn't, you know, just do things to his son for, this, for no purpose. There's a purpose and there's a lesson in the discipline or even in the struggle, right? I, I remember um, one particular memory when I was growing up, I was in, uh, I think, like third grade, and I had to, um, it was something with geography in the, the states. I don't remember exactly, but I had to list, like, 
these, you know, the diff- like we were, we were going through the 50 states and I had to list all of them. And, you know, I had this list I was trying to memorize and it was for like a geography test in third grade or fourth grade. And um, I remember I wanted Miguel's Jr. because what kid in Corona doesn't want Miguel's Jr.? And that was just like a thing that my family did. And uh, I remember my dad asked me, hey, did you memorize those states yet? And we had had plans to go get bean rice and cheese burritos. And at that time, believe it or not, they were a dollar. Now they're like four dollars. And I remember my dad said, well, when you can name all 50 states, then we'll go get dinner. And I remember very vividly he was in the backyard like watering plants or something. And, and I had to sit there and like muster all these names. And I don't think I finished it, but he eventually felt so bad for me that he... Uh, and I still don't know if I could name all 50 states now. But... Uh, there was a lesson in that, right? He saw a benefit in me having to wait for something that I wanted because I was in the process of memorizing something. And on a much greater scale, God does the same thing in our life. He takes us through things that can be kind of difficult so that we can get to a place where we find David at in 2 Samuel 22, where he can turn around and turn back and thank God for everything that God did in his life because he sees the greater outcome and the greater purpose that God was working through those trials. Amen? All right, so as we continue reading, let's keep that in mind, that David is now turning back and praising God and, and really seeing the promises and even the things that we uh, alluded to last week in Hannah's prayer in the beginning of 1 Samuel. We're seeing those things come to fruition. And, you know, there's more things that will come to pass that David won't see in his lifetime, but he's beginning to see, I think, the promises of God really coming full circle. And so it says in verse 32 of 2 Samuel 22, verse 32 says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge. And I interjected he here. You could say, and he has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. And you've given me the shield of your salvation. And your gentleness has made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. And so David is speaking of God's faithfulness, and a lot of this is really in battle, is what we're seeing here. And remember that this whole section is really Psalm 18 interjected, and David is singing the song that we see in Psalm 18 with a few slight variations. So, um, If you're reading through the Psalms and you get to Psalm 18, it's going to sound very familiar because that's what this is. So verse 32, what does he say? He says, the Lord is a rock. Who is a rock except our God? There's truly no one like the God of the Bible, like our God. He's perfect in all his ways. And not only is he great, but he loves us with an extravagant and an overwhelming love. There's a beautiful song by an artist named Amanda Cook, and the song is called Extravagant. And the chorus reads like this. It's extravagant. It doesn't make sense. We'll never comprehend the way you love us. It's unthinkable, and only heaven knows just how far you'd go to say you love us, to say you love us. And that's one of those songs that I turn it up to 50 in my car, driving down the freeway. Somebody's probably flipping me off. They're angry about something. I'm just like, Jesus, Jesus, your love is so good. 
Hopefully I didn't cut them off by accident when I was singing. But isn't that a beautiful song? And that's so true that God's love for us, is, it's, it's this extravagant love. It's this love that really it doesn't make any sense. Because I'm not really worthy to be loved. In fact, human beings can be quite unlovable. How many of you in here, and I know it's like the classic like church example of things that are unlovable, but it is just true. How many of you love cats? We have a few cat lovers in here. So my wife loves cats. And part of the deal when we got married is that we had to take her cat, Mr. Fox. And I debated putting a picture of Mr. Fox on the screen because he is pretty cute. But my favorite part about Mr. Fox, and I'm sorry if you're like an animal rights person because I, I could get why you might get upset by this. But we, they had Mr. Fox declawed. So Mr. Fox can't scratch me. And we keep him inside, okay? We're not that mean. So we, we keep... The cat inside, but he can't scratch me. He also can't tear up all my furniture and my guitars and my guitar cases. We lived with people for a while, and I had a soft guitar case, like a nice case, you know. And the cat, like, scratched up my guitar case. And, but cats generally are just not very lovable creatures. They're not very loyal. In fact, they're not loyal at all. They kind of just do whatever they want. They sleep all the time. They don't follow instruction. You could sit there at Mr. Fox, and he'll look real cute, but you're like, get down. Get down. And he's like, and he couldn't care any less about what I'm saying to him. In fact, he listens to my wife a lot more than he listens to me. But they don't follow instructions. They bite you. They scratch you. I found out the other day there's a such thing as cat scratch fever. Like, I thought that was just an old song. That's like an actual thing. Like, you can actually get scratched by a cat and end up in the hospital. And it's a thing that happens. Cats are not very lovable. And the worst of all, they cough up hairballs. It's disgusting. And they pee in a box, and then you have to clean the box. The list goes on. But even more so, you could say that humans are rather unlovable at times. And you've experienced this, I'm sure, in just your relationships. Now imagine your relationships magnified by six or seven billion. And God loves every single one of us, despite our filth. I've now never seen a human cough up a hairball. And if they did, there would be greater issues that would need to be addressed. But, but the, the principle applies. And I think you know what I mean. We're not very loyal sometimes. Sometimes God, well, always God provides for us. And sometimes I turn back and praise Him. And sometimes I don't and my attitude kind of stinks. But God loves me the same through every moment of it. And David could say the same. That even when we are like those cats, God continues to love us. And not only does God love us, but he justifies us. Not only did God love us, but his love took action on that cross. On that cross. That one's bigger, that's cooler. I'm just kidding. But isn't it amazing that God's love is not a love that just is stagnant, but it's a love that, that took action. And that is really the theme of this whole psalm. You know, this psalm, there are sections in this psalm where it can be kind of confusing because you're like, man, David's a little like, he thinks he's pretty cool. But then when you realize that David is actually alluding to the Messiah to come, you realize Okay, actually, this all makes perfect sense. When you read it, 
in the sense that it is a messianic psalm, you can see all the pictures of Jesus who will come in the future, who will be the fulfillment of these promises in all perfect ways. God's love took action. And it says in verse 33, David sings, He made my way blameless. There's an action inferred in that, in that language, that God did something so that I could be blameless. And we know what that is. God took on flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, and he, and he lived the life that I could never live. And then he bore the sin, the weight of the sin that I deserved to bear. He has made my way blameless. He rewrites the history book of your life. Every wrong that you've done is covered by the blood of Jesus. And you know what's even crazier about this? As David sings this, he doesn't even know exactly how it's going to happen yet. There have been prophecies, and, but the, it hasn't happened yet. The cross is still to come. But David in faith sings, God, my way has been made blameless, and I trust you. I trust that you're going to do what you said you will do. Let's keep reading uh, verse 38, it says, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Now, this is where it gets kind of, this is a little brutal, right? It gets into the war aspect. And did not turn my back until they were consumed. And I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you have equipped me with the strength for battle. And you made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed them. And they looked, but there was none to save. And they cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. And I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. And I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. There's some like brutal language here. I beat them fine as dust. I think my father's threatened to do that to me before. <laughs> but when I was a kid, it was often, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. But the language that David uses here, and this is what I was getting at a minute ago, is that when you apply these things to Christ, they make a lot more sense, right? Because you can see the faithfulness of God in David's life. If we look at war and tribulation that David went through, you can see that in like verse 38 it says that he, David pursued his enemies and he destroyed them through the power of God. And he didn't turn his back until they were consumed. And how many of you know the disaster that comes when God gives instruction to completely destroy an enemy and some are left? And the instruction's not followed. In fact, that ended up being Saul's demise because he didn't properly follow the instruction of the Lord. And David says, Lord, when you said to consume them, I consumed them. And I didn't turn back until the deed was done because I knew that that's what you wanted. And in verse 39, it says, I consumed them and I thrust them through and through so that they did not rise and they fell under my feet. All of these things pointing to the victory that David had through God, through the power that God had supplied him with. David had become an agent of God's anger against his violent enemies. Notice in verse 42, when David calls upon the Lord, there is deliverance, but when the enemies call... Crickets, right? 
They were on the wrong side. And isn't that so much like people? When tragedy strikes their life, all of a sudden they consider God again. But when things are fine, we forget him. And unfortunately, that's not just non-believers. We do it as believers too, don't we? When things are cruising, we start to lose sight of our, 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 our dependence and our need for God. And then the road gets a little bumpy, and then we remember, man, I should probably pray. I often think about it like the battery on, say, my iPad. Now, my iPad runs great. Battery lasts a long time. It's great. But if my iPad is unplugged from its power source for too long, what happens? Well, first, it starts to slow down. And I start getting these warnings. Low battery. The Holy Spirit does that in my life. Hey, your battery's running low. Right? And there's a little button that pops up, and it says, dismiss. How often does God give you low battery signals, and you dismiss those warnings? And God says, you're at, what is it? It starts at usually 30%, 20%. Hey, your battery's at 15%. And then it gets to a point where it says, your battery's at 5% or lower. And you can still dismiss it. Starts to slow down. Apps start crashing. And eventually, that thing dies. If we are detached from our power source, who is God, the creator of the universe, your creator, your power source for anything good that will come from your life, if you're detached from him for too long, you will die. You will die. And sometimes we push that dismiss button until the last second, and then at the last second we're like, all right, don't want it to die. But see, it would be so much better if as soon as that warning signal popped up, we plugged back into our power source. And sometimes we wait until the very last possible second to plug back in. And what's even crazier about it, and this is the part that breaks my heart a little bit when I think about the way I act sometimes, there are people in the world that will die to have one of these books. And I have 10 of them. And I sometimes forget to read them. And they're sitting on my desk or they're sitting next to my bed and I will choose to look at Instagram instead of read this book. And so I've said, in the morning, I don't look at Instagram. I try not to. Sometimes the notification is right there. And now look, I'm, I'm a singer and a songwriter and you know, a large part of my reach with students after I leave a, a summer camp or after I leave a church is through social media. So it's beneficial. It's not bad in and of itself. But it begins to take priority over my God. Not worth it. Okay, and that can be applied to anything in our life. And David understood that he had to be plugged into his power source. And David knew that going into battle, now, let's take this up a notch, right? Going into real war, not social media debates, which I hate, by the way. I, I, I've heard a pastor say that a social media debate is like two people screaming at each other on opposite sides of soundproof glass. They're both yelling as loud as they can, but no one can hear anybody. And... Applying this to war now, David understood he had to be plugged into his power source. And so did other men of God throughout Scripture. Think of Joshua at the walls of Jericho. Can you imagine getting that order from God? 
Just march around the walls, man. <laughs> what? Now, if I was Joshua in that scenario, I would think we have trained men here, like we're you, and you just want us to march? And God said, just march. So he followed orders, and look at what happened. The walls came down, man. God was faithful. But why was God faithful? God is good, and he just is faithful. That's who he is. It can't, can't, can't be anything else. He, he's sovereign. But it just took a little bit of faith from Joshua and the Israelites, and they said, okay, we're going to march. And the order came in that scripture. It's in Joshua 5, if you want to go and look at it later, 5, 13, 6 through 5. Uh, and, uh, man, it says on the seventh day, they would march around the city seven times. And they followed orders. Or what about David? Probably one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture, right? David and Goliath, right? Everybody told David he was crazy. And he was crazy. Crazy full of faith. But man, he was crazy. And remember, uh, he tried, <laughs> the king offers him his, his armor. And it, the way they depict it in VeggieTales, right? It always comes back to VeggieTales is that the armor was just way too big and clunky and it was weighing David down. And David goes out there. Now, I'm six feet tall. So that means my, my arm being fully extended would make about nine feet. Okay, so Goliath is like, I, I couldn't even, I, like maybe me standing on this platform is probably about a nine foot tall person. That's a big dude. Actually, no, this platform's two feet tall. So I'm another foot taller and I'm Goliath. And David is really young when that account happens. And David goes out there, he's a shepherd boy. He's probably a teenager. <laughs> and he goes out there with, what does he go out there with, church? Some stones and a slingshot. And we're talking about a dude whose sword is probably as tall as David was. And he's feared by the whole Israelite army and everybody, he's going out there and they're like, David, you're going to die. This is a death wish. This is a suicide mission. And David says, the Lord's going to deliver his people today. And he goes out there, and what happens? Victory. Now, is it because David was so mighty and strong? No, the guy went out there with a slingshot. He had some good aim. Probably could have been a good baseball player. But David gained victory in that situation because he trusted in God, and he knew where his power came from. It wasn't because of how great David was. It was because of how great his God was. So David had had many times in his life where he faced enemies far bigger than him, but he had victory because he knew where the power came from. Too often we try to manage things on our own. And it doesn't work, as a sister just said up here. It does not work. And every time, you would think we would learn the lesson. And, you know, the purpose of tonight is not to leave here beat up and down, but it's a challenge, right? That every time I am going to do something, I ask God to bless it. I ask God to give me discernment and direction. I mean, can you imagine if every time we made a big decision, we sought God on it first? I think that you as individuals would change. I would change as an individual for Christ then the church would change, and then the world would change. From every person just saying, God, lead me. You have to be my power through this. 
Now, David says something interesting. Look at verse 44. He says in verse 44, You delivered me from strife with my people, and you kept me as the head of the nations. David, at the height of his power, was the ruler of a small Middle Eastern empire. Is David getting a little carried away here? No, on the contrary, this points to Jesus. Because who would be the ultimate head of every nation? Who would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords to come? Who would be a son of David? Jesus Christ. And so, again, that's where when you read this and you say, okay, this is pointing to Jesus. It changes everything. Because David, he was a great king. Maybe the greatest. But even at the height of David's power, he only ruled over a small Middle Eastern empire. But as he sings this song, he sings it about the Messiah to come. And Jesus would come and he would be the head of every nation. And our God reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords at this very moment right now. As we sang earlier, he makes the darkness tremble. He makes other kings tremble. And we know that in the book of Revelation, we see all these things that are to come, and it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. David understood that there were far greater things to come. And like I said, he may not have known to what extent yet, but he knew that there were greater things to come. Because God had given promises, and God followed through on his promises every time. So David said, God has promised that something greater is coming I don't exactly know what it is. And I love that David was okay with that. Sometimes in your life, God's going to give you something, and you may not ever see it come full circle. And sometimes that can be the hardest thing. Can anybody relate to that? God gives you something, or he gives a promise in his word, then you're clinging to that promise, and you may never in your lifetime see it come to pass. And that's okay. Because how do we please our God? Through faith. And I, I know so many, you know, through the church, I've grown up in the church, and, you know, I think of, like, uh, particularly when I think about, like, perseverance through a struggle, I think of women who come to church on their own, and their husband chooses to stay home. And I, I have friends personally who have been praying for their spouse for 30 years, 40 years, and they haven't seen that come to fruition yet. And they continue to pray because they believe that God is working. That is amazing. To see a woman do that. Because really, that's not the way it ought to be. But they persevere through it and they believe. And those, that's just one example of the way that I see people live this out. They persevere through things that are so difficult. I think of Scott Arnold, who many of you may have known, through his battle with cancer, just like humbled every person he talked to as he spoke to doctors and people about his situation, terminally ill and smiling every moment, knowing that God was doing something. And he was, because we're talking about him right now. Isn't that amazing? how a little bit of faith can, can change the world. Really, it can. 
So David sings this song, and it's really all about Jesus, as it ought to be. Let's keep reading. In verse 45, it says, Foreigners came cringing to me, and as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart, and they came trembling out of their fortresses. Again, I think of the cross, where the enemy and his demons thought they had victory. We sing this song on Sunday mornings, right? And the, the, the last verse of the song says, And then darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our victory in hand. And there was a moment where darkness thought it had the victory, but at the cross of Jesus Christ, there was no victory. It was ultimately the end of darkness. 47 says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out, of, out from my enemies, you exalted me above those who rose against me, and you delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing of your great name. Turn to Romans for a moment. In your New Testament, book of Romans. Just going to be there for a second. But turn with us if you can. Go to Romans 15, verse 9. I just love finding little correlations like this. Romans 15, 9 says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, and this is an excerpt from Psalm 18 or 2 Samuel 22, it says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing of your great name. And if you look at the verse that we just read, in verse 50 of 22, it says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing of your great name. There's something about singing the name of Jesus there's power in that name. All throughout Scripture, we see little things like that, where I will sing of your name. Your name is worthy to be praised. Your name is holy. Your name is above every other name. There's something about that name. That's another song. There's something about the name of Jesus. You know, when we go um, overseas for missions, that we were in Thailand last year, and, you know, as we're with tour guides and, and, you know, guys who do this all the time, they know, you know, all the ins and outs of dealing with the craziness over there. And there's, there's just crazy things. The, the, the spiritual darkness and the weight in places like Cambodia and Thailand is, is overwhelming. And I love, uh, we went with a guy named Martin from a group called Ethnos Asia. And one thing that Martin said to me one time, we, me and Martin were sitting next to each other in a van and we were going to a uh, a church that morning to pray for the church and to minister to the church and the pastors. And I said, Martin, what do you do when some of these situations come up? Like a, uh, you know, like a demon-possessed girl walks in during your worship service and starts screaming. Like, what do you do? And he said, you know, Shane, and Martin's a funny guy. And he said, you know, Shane, with all the, the language barriers and, 
and all the craziness and all the, the, the struggles that we have because we're totally a uh, different culture we come from, we, we can't speak the same language. He said, you know what I found in all the years of doing missionary work? There's something about the name of Jesus that just does wonders. And sometimes we'd find ourselves in a group and we had one particular instance. I remember we were doing a pastor's conference in Cambodia and um, I started leading worship and a girl came that was in there already collapsed to her knees and started, you know, plugging her ears and screaming. And she told the translator that when I would sing, it was like knives in her ears. And the, the girl was under, I don't know if she was possessed or oppressed, but she was under demonic oppression or possession. And, you know, I kept singing. And then when we went to a break, we, we actually took her outside and a group of us prayed over her. And we watched this girl be freed from the oppression or the possession that she was facing. But you know what we prayed the whole time, for me anyways? There was only one thing I could pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Because that name makes the darkness tremble. And you know what happens when you try to face that darkness without the power of that name? It is not a force to be reckoned with on your own. In fact, in Scripture, we see an account where men claiming to carry the name of Jesus come to some uh, men that are demon-possessed, and they, they try to cast out the demons, and what happens? The demon says, we know who Paul is, and we know who Jesus is, but who are you? And it does not go well. And the same thing is true for us, church. You might not deal with a demon-possessed person at work, but you might deal with temptation. Or you might deal with that family member that has pushed you to your limit. Whatever the temptation may be in your life, there is something about the name of Jesus. And I would encourage you, when you don't know what to pray, just pray his name. Ask him to help you. Sometimes we overcomplicate our prayer life. How many of you are intimidated by eloquent prayers? Like you're the person at a prayer meeting, you're like, I'm not praying. Mm -mm. I know you're out there. It's okay. Because prayer isn't about the eloquence. It's about the heart. Because you could have the most eloquent prayer in the world, but if it doesn't come from the heart, it means nothing. And some of the most beautiful prayers that I've ever heard are from like children, right? English grammar out the door. But the heart behind the prayer is so beautiful because it is so innocent. And I think that David understood that a large part of that power that he would receive from the Lord was through communication with God. He would cry out to God, and God would speak through different prophets and through different ways throughout David's life. But there was, there was an understanding from David that he had to cry out and lean upon God. And we have the privilege that David didn't have. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, church. The cross has now happened, and God has given his spirit to his people as a helper, as a guide. The spirit of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, lives within you and is accessible to you at any moment, at any time, in any circumstance, in any trial. 
when you're at the end of your rope or you're feeling just fine, he's there and he's ready to help you. And David did not hesitate to cry out to the Lord. So we talked about, what verse did we leave off in? I went on a rabbit trail there. 46? All right, well, let's, it's not a bad thing to read some things again. I love verse 47. Let's just read from verse 47. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. And David says, you know, the God brought, uh, he gave me vengeance, and he brought, me down, uh, brought down my enemies under me. In verse 49, who brought me out from my enemies, you exalted me above those who rose against me, and you delivered me from men of violence. Verse 50, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of your praises, of your great name. And we saw that in Romans, right? And then it says, this is the last verse of our section tonight. It says, great salvation he brings to his king. And look at David's confidence in God. Confidence in God to fulfill his promises always. He says, great salvation he brings to his king, and he shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David is claiming it, man. He knows that God's going to come through on his promises. And ultimately, the son of David, Jesus Christ, would come through this line that God is preserving, and salvation would come to anyone who would take it. Because of men's, you know, being faithful, and ultimately, and really God's faithfulness all throughout history. I read a book in Bible college called God's Redemptive Plan for Man. And all the book does is take you from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end of the scriptures and shows every aspect. It's quite exhaustive. It shows every aspect where God preserves his people, stays faithful, and continues his plan to redeem you and me. And it was very boring at times. It was a very long book. It was a two-time-a-week, three-hour class. But man, it was rich. Now, the speaker, his name's Dave Shirley. I love him. One of the best guys, but he's like got that southern drawl, and he also talks about like this loud the whole time. And you're in an auditorium with, you know, 300 students, and it's a three-hour class. You have a break at the hour-and-a-half mark, and sometimes that, that hour-and-a-half mark seemed like an eternity. And I would tell Dave, Dave, sometimes, man, it's hard. It's hard for me to stay awake, because I had like morning chapel. I was leading worship at the time and stuff, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I know. He knew it. But that class was so good because it was so cool to see God's plan coming all the way through history. He's preserving his people. There's never a single moment where God is not faithful. And, you know, David, he emphasizes the thought, this is the Lord's victory. He has won it for me. All the glory goes to him. And like we've already said, Tonight, you know, when we do anything good in our life, it's God at work. That power source, here's a verse for you regarding that power source that we have to stay plugged into. John 15, 4 through 5 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And this is the part of the verse that's almost like slightly offensive. 
but it's reality. Apart from me, you can do nothing. My parents have that uh, verse on a little nice little sign from like Hobby Lobby. How many love Hobby Lobby? Right? Never buy anything full price from Hobby Lobby. There's always sales. Okay? Um, and they have a little sign in the bathroom, and it just says the last phrase of that, that section of Scripture, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And I love that. It's a good reminder. I can't do anything without Jesus. I can do a lot of damage without Jesus. But if I want to do anything productive that has any sort of eternal value, I have to have Jesus lead me in it. And I I talked about this last week. I tell the band every time we come on stage, God has to work in spite of us no matter how prepared we are. He has to work in spite of us. And so whatever task God has put on your heart tonight, maybe there's a person at work that you have been praying for. Maybe you're having marriage problems. Maybe you're having financial problems. Maybe you have an addiction and nobody knows about it. And you keep falling into the same sin. Whatever it is tonight, you are not going to gain any ground until you start leaning on Jesus. And every time you try to do it in your own strength, church, you're going to keep falling down. But here is the encouraging and the beautiful, the most wonderful news that mankind has ever heard. Jesus has overcome everything that you will ever deal with. You already have victory in his name. You just simply have to cry out to him. That's it. And we say, no, God, hold on. Give me one more shot. I can do it. I can do it. Right? How many of you are stubborn people? And you, now, I'm, I'm a very motivated person. My wife will tell you. If I get a plan in my head on how I'm going to do something, it's hard to change my mind because I already have the whole thing mapped out. Now, that's part of the problem with, like, creative people. From the outside, they just look like the most unorganized, like, chaotic person. Pastor Chris has come in before. It'll be, like, Wednesday, and I'm doing a new set design on the stage, and it's just a mess. There's, like, wood shrapnel and just it looks like a bomb went off in here and it's like 505 y'all are already on your way to church and Chris walks in and he's like wow you're not even close I'm like I know but it's gonna happen man I got a plan and somehow we always pull it off I'll rally a couple guys from the church and we'll we'll get it all put away but that that's the thing is that God has a plan God is the creator of creativity And so God has a plan for your life. He has a plan and a purpose in the things that you're facing right now. And if there, like we said tonight, if there's really one thing that David is saying is that God had a purpose in everything that has happened in my life. He'd come to that place where he's singing his song of deliverance. He's been delivered and he can look back at every trial and say, God had a purpose in everything. It always comes back to God. That's exactly how David's song opens. It's exactly how David's song concludes. We started by talking about hope that David had in God, and that's where we're landing as well tonight. If we were to live our life the way that this song is written, can you imagine the difference we would make in our world? Our outlook on life would be dramatically different. I was very brutally bullied as a kid. Um, I don't know why. Well, I know some reasons why. 
For one, I, w- I made myself a target. My grandma always used to say to me, like, water off a duck, honey. Because what would happen is I would take one insult and I would fire back, right? Or, or I would just give a reaction. And then it would just start flowing, man. And kids are evil sometimes, man. They're little boogers. <laughs> and now I have no tolerance for bullying. Like, if I see a kid getting made fun of, I'm like, hey, come here, kid. Let me, t- let me tell you something. And in love, of course, I speak to them and I tell them the damage that words can do. It's been said from this pulpit many times. There's an old saying, right? The nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. That's a lie. And my point is this. As a kid, I had moments, and you know, it's not, this is not pity party for Shane. This is just, this is God's faithfulness. I had times where uh, I had a kid rip my glasses off my face and stomp on it. It was like something out of a movie. I got punched in the face in third grade, and I punched him back, and I got a, what we called in elementary school an FYI, and it was this four-year information slip we had to take home to our parents and have them sign it. My mom, my mom's, my mom's a strong woman. She didn't, she, I told her what happened. She ripped that thing in half, man. She ripped that thing in half, and we had, went, we had a meeting in the principal's office the next morning. She's like, I'm not signing this. That boy punched my son first. You know, that's just how my mom was. But I had all these crazy things um, happen through my life. And bullying was one of those things. And even, you know, I wouldn't call it bullying in high school, but in high school I played ball, and um, I wasn't like, I don't think I was an annoying Christian, but I think, like I talked about last week, that you know how I talked about that phone light in the movie theater? And even though that person's just sending a simple text message, that light is so annoying because that dark atmosphere just becomes this nuisance. And I think that that oftentimes is what was happening in the squad on my baseball team in high school. I didn't really say much, but guys just didn't like me. And you know what's crazy? I've had guys who I grew up with who were not my friend when I was a kid come up to me and completely unsolicited just, hey man, I'm sorry for the way I treated you when we were kids. I don't know why I was like that. Or, hey, man, I had things going on at home, and you were just like a target for me at school. But this is my point. I was a counselor at a junior high summer camp a couple years ago, and a kid that I still mentor today was going through something very similar. And at that point in my life, I still can't say I totally understood what God was doing through all those experiences in my life, and all the way through high school, even just like I had enemies that I didn't understand why they were enemies. And this kid, you know, we had a time of worship and the, the camp was kind of concluding and he came to me and he said, you know, um, I'm getting made fun of a lot at school for various reasons that he explained. And I said, I'm sorry, man, that's, that stinks. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, no, you don't understand. And there was this moment where God was like, you see, because I was able to look at that kid and say, actually, no, I do understand. And to him, you know, I'm like, I play music on Sundays, and I have a girlfriend, you know, so I'm like, got it all figured out, right? <laughs> and I looked at him, and we had this great conversation. I said, look, dude, I actually know exactly what you're going through. I, I don't know if you know this, but I was really bullied as a kid, and I kind of totally understand what you're going through. He's going from sixth to seventh grade. That's a tough year. Tough transition. Kids are still in that phase where they think the world revolves around them. And I had this moment where God said, you see, that's why. That's why. 
And that has just, over the last couple of years of my life, been one way I've seen that God allowed me to go through little things. And I'm not, it wasn't the end of the world. It made me stronger. But I've seen, that's just one small way where I've seen God say, look, this is why I allowed that thing to happen in your life. Or these little things. Maybe it was just for that one moment to minister to that one kid, to encourage that one kid. But I know that it's been even more. Because since then I could tell you 10, 12, 15, 20 more stories of ways where I've seen that come full circle. And God is doing the same thing in your life. There might be something that you're going through right now. And like I said at the beginning and at the end of last week, you may not be singing your song of deliverance yet, but God is doing something in your life just as he was doing something in David's life. And ultimately what he was doing in David's life is preserving your salvation because Jesus was coming. And so whatever you're going through tonight, church, trust in his faithfulness and his sovereignty. And if you're doing great, man, I'm so excited for you. That's awesome. But the trial will come again. And when it comes, you'll be that much stronger, that much more prepared. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. As we kind of see that David's life is coming to an end, and next week we'll get into 23, and we see you know, things are wrapping up for David, and Lord, you have proven yourself faithful, and we could turn around and say the same thing, God, you've been so faithful to us. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to guide us, that you would continue to lead us, Lord, because we insist on trying to do things on our own so often, and it never goes well. And so, Lord, I pray that when we face the trials, when we make the tough decisions, when we're going through those things that we don't understand, we would believe in faith that you are working, that you are in the waiting, that our soul would take courage and trust that you're in the waiting. Lord, I pray that chains would be broken. Lord, if there is healing that's needed for different people in this room tonight, Lord, I pray that they would call out to you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be so busy being busy that we miss you. And Lord, I pray that for the families represented in this room tonight, for the, the children who, man, maybe there's children and families tonight or upstairs in that high school room right now, that are outcasts at their school. Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them their identity would be found in you, Jesus, not in the things of this world. And Lord, I know that that same thing can apply, that there are men and women in this room right now who at their workplace, they're the weirdo Christian. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would give them confidence to shine even brighter, Lord, to continue doing their thing in Jesus because you are at work. Thank you that you preserved David and that you came through that line, Lord, and you saved my soul. Thank you, Jesus. We could never, ever thank you enough. We give you all the glory. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns void. God, you are so good. And so as we have an opportunity to just now turn around and praise you through music, God, I pray that we would just seize the opportunity and that we would worship you because we understand who you are and how good you are. In your name, amen.